Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Thank you again so much for being here this morning. Take out your worship guide. We'll have some notes there in just a moment for you to follow along with. As we continue our study here through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we really wrap up a section here today that is kind of a subsection of the larger study that we've been engaged in here in this book. And it's been a section on how do we make wise choices in our Christian freedoms that we have in Christ. Christ saved us and he freed us from an old covenant law where the old uh, covenant, the uh, nation of Israel primarily was trying to, and, and God never meant it this way. It's always been by grace through faith. But somewhere along the way, all these laws, the, 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 the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these religious people assumed that how you got to God was by earning righteousness through the keeping of the law. That was never the purpose of the law. It was meant to show us our need for a Savior, our need for Jesus. And so, and so you have this interesting situation going on in the first century where there's a transition from Judaism and all the religious traditionalism of that religion to truly being a Jesus follower. And so with those new freedoms, there was a lot of Christians who had different dietary freedoms, which we're going to mention here in a second, just some interesting stuff, and just different things. And Paul is addressing a question here in the church of Corinth where they were asking a question about meat that was uh, sold in a meat market, but before it was sold in the meat market, it had been associated with pagan idol worship. And so if you have a copy of Scripture, go ahead there and turn to 1 Corinthians 10. If you don't, you can download a Bible app on your, on your smartphone and, and follow along that way. And so our study today is interesting for a couple of different reasons. Uh, one is, is we're going to be looking at probably one of the most familiar verses, not only in the book of 1 Corinthians, but in the entire New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10.31. And if I asked you to quote it right now, many of you could, especially if you went to the wilds growing up, because we quoted it every meal. So um, we're going to study that verse today, and I cannot wait to show you the context of where that verse pops out here and why it's so important in this larger discussion that we've been involved in on a Christian and their freedom. And so we wrap up this subsection here in this larger study that's been here in uh, chapters 8 through 10. In chapters 8 through 10, and I know it's been a while because we had missions month in there, so it's been a while since we were in chapter 8 when Paul first addressed this question. And now what he's doing today is he's coming back around to this question of, hey, am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to eat this meat that was once offered in sacrifice to an idol? Hey, it's on sale it's really good quality. You know, it's like filet mignon and it's half price. Should I buy it and eat it, Paul, or should I just abstain? And so that was the question going on here. And that's where we pick up our reading here in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So we're going to read this passage and then get right into the study. It says, Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? Now that might sound kind of weird and mystical. We're going to come back and break down these verses. I'm going to share with you what's really being said there. It's part of the job of the preacher to make sense sometimes of... And hey, and this is why you come to church, right? To make sense sometimes of what you're reading in your Bible, and hopefully we can make sense of that together. It says, For we being many are one bread and one body... For we are all partakers of that one bread. Behold, Israel after the flesh, are not they which eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What say I then? 
that the idol is anything or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. So there's an interesting situation going on here. I'll come back to it, but I need to say it here now. What Paul is doing is he's making a distinction between buying meat that happened to be associated with sacrifice to an idol and something wholly different. And we're going to mention what he's drawing a distinction here with in a little bit. But just that, that's what he's doing here. He's, he's going back to chapter 8, and he's coming back around saying, Okay, yeah, I said it's okay. Meat's meat. If your conscience doesn't bother you in eating that meat, eat it. But it becomes wrong when you do this. And we'll, we'll bring that out. Verse 21, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. Whoa, that's some pretty strong language. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient, or they're not the best thing. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. They don't build up the body of Christ. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Ah, so you see that theme? The theme of our freedoms. Our freedoms are not primarily for us. They're for who? They're for others. They're for serving and edifying others. He says, whatever is sold in the shambles in the meat market, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's a good verse you should quote before every, every meal, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and may he bless my full belly when I get done. Amen. Um, if, any of them that believe not, bid, if, if any of them that believe not bid you to a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols... Eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I, by grace, be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God." Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. You see the theme there. So what's the recurring theme in these three chapters? It's our freedoms are ultimately to edify others and help them, and our freedoms are to see people saved. And then verse 11, or verse 1 of chapter 11 Paul's really wrapping up the thought here. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Father, bless in this time of study as we look into your word. Help us to make wise choices in the midst of a life where we have now been given great freedoms in Christ. Certainly, Father, you call us to a greater law, the law of faith and love, and the law of the spirit of life, which gives to us new inward motivations, where there's now a part of us that truly desires to see life transformation occur. And so, Father, would you continue to do that in our lives today as we are here for one of the reasons, not only to receive your grace, but then to grow in that, to mature, to become better disciples of Christ today. So speak to our hearts, Father, and may um, Father, if there's anyone here today that has never placed their faith in you, would today be their day of salvation? 
We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. Look at back at verse 14. I want you to notice this word, wherefore. The words wherefore and therefore are connecting words, and they are uh, words connecting back to the previous thoughts that Paul was making. And so Paul is really wrapping up now this study, and he's connecting all these uh, previous thoughts that he's had with the overall question, and that is this, the question we already mentioned. Can we eat meat that was offered as a sacrifice to an idol. This meat was high quality because it was a sacrificial meat, so you had to bring your best for sacrifice, and so it was high quality. It was low cost. The reason that it was low cost is because the priests who were selling it didn't buy it. It was given to them, and they had eaten their fill, and so they took this leftover high quality, no cost to them meat, and they were able to undercut the other sellers and sell it for half price. And so the Corinthian Christians were asking the question, hey, this is a good deal on meat. This might be good biblical stewardship to save money. How many of you are always good for good biblical stewardship and saving money? We got any coupon queens and kings out there? Yeah, I know. I see you. I see you on Facebook sometimes with your coupon, uh, yes, yes, with your coupon addictions. That's good. That's good. And so people were asking this question, should we eat it? And so Paul spends, I mean, I'm, just think about this. Paul spends three of the 16 chapters here in 1 Corinthians dealing with this one question. Aren't you glad you didn't have to sit and listen to that whole sermon in one sitting? I mean, it's taken us months to get through all this. You're like, whoa, yeah, that would not be a good idea. But so Paul's been, so, so evidently this was very important to Paul to teach the principles through this one question. You see, all of us here this morning, and just keep this in mind, because this might lose your interest at a point because you're like, I don't have that problem worrying about meat sacrifice idols. Oh, but there's other things that we as Christians face that are in the realm of Christian freedom that I hear Christians going at one another over all the time. And so it's going to be very important as we wrap up this study here in just a little bit on how we apply this message to our own life. And so Paul is laying down principles here that really apply to every other area of Christian liberty and freedom. And so the context of Corinth and the situation was that there was this meat market, and they've done all kinds of historical excavations. They actually found a sign that said fish and meat market. Uh, and these meat markets, uh, the, the one specifically that Paul's referring to, it was right across the street from the Temple of Apollo. And there were many temples to many gods there in Corinth. It was a very pagan, uh, 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 pluralistic society. And many of these temples would mimic the sacrificial system of the Jewish people. And so you had these pagan sacrifices. People would bring uh, uh, fine quality animal sacrifices and they would sacrifice that animal. And many of the worshipers in these pagan temples, when they would sacrifice that animal and they would cook it on the altar, they would eat some of that meat. They would leave the leftover animal there for the pagan priest to enjoy. And then, of course, the third thing is the pagan priest would then take that leftover meat and they would sell it in these meat markets. And so, as, as, as we establish, it's high quality, low cost. So the question, if we go to buy meat at the meat market, should we make sure we don't buy or eat any meat that was sacrificed to an idol? And what Paul answers here in these three chapters is basically this. Yes and no. It depends. And don't you just love a yes and no answer? It depends kind of answer. Well, um, hopefully this will help us today. So part of the issue in the broader first century Christianity was this transition, as I mentioned, from Judaism to Jesus. There were dietary laws, ceremonial laws, purity laws that had been radically done away with. And for that matter, even the Big Ten had been done away with, and we were given a new law. And so you had a lot of questions. I mean, 
Think about this. If you have a garden, how many of you got a garden? Anybody got a garden out there? I know Jimmy and Linda got a garden. They sell their maters there in the summer. I drive by there and see those all the time. Well, if you lived in the Old Testament, you couldn't plant cucumbers, lettuce, and onions in the same garden. There was actually a law where you couldn't plant. I know Jimmy's like, what? Yeah, that's, that's crazy, isn't it, Jimmy? I mean, that's just kind of weird. Uh, you, you couldn't wear certain types of clothing. I mean, it was that specific. And of course, we could get into a deeper study on that someday. There were reasons for a lot of those things because there wasn't sanitation back then. So God knew that and he had certain laws that kept people from getting as sick as they could have gotten. And so now, but, I, but now all of a sudden here in the first century, you have a new freedom that Christians were not accustomed to. So how do they handle these issues? And so just by way of summary, Paul said in chapter 8, Listen, the goal of our freedoms is better disciples. Use your freedoms for your enjoyment, but limit your freedoms if it hinders someone's spiritual growth. That's chapter 8. Chapter 9, more disciples. And this is all there in your notes at the top of the page. More disciples. Limit your freedoms if it hinders the gospel, but use your freedoms if it advances the gospel. All right? So chapters 8 and 9, and then, of course, we've studied the last couple of weeks, chapter 10, where we dealt with temptations. Why? Because with these temptations, with these great new freedoms, there's a temptation either to react towards legalism or react towards license to where you say, oh, because I'm free, I can do whatever, we, do whatever I want. And so Paul really summarizes this in these two chapters by, by basically stating this. The freedoms we have in Christ are to be enjoyed, but the primary purpose of freedoms is to make more and better disciples, more and better followers of Jesus. That's the goal. That's the purpose. And so here's the basic outline of this passage here that we're looking at. So what Paul says here is, okay, I've told you that this meat is, I mean, it's meat, okay? Enjoy it. But if your conscience is going to be harmed in it, don't do it. And then he comes here and he gives to us further instructions on when you can't eat and when you might be able to eat. And again, why is this all important? Well, We'll wrap that up here at the end. When you can't eat, look at verse 14. It says in verses 14 and 15, it says in verses 14 and 15, let me go back here. It says, wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge you what I say. So Paul says, listen, you're logical, you're wise, judge what I'm about to tell you. Verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. Now, what is Paul referring to here? He's referring to communion. If you were here last Sunday morning, we observed communion together at the end of our church uh, service. And communion consists of two elements, one unleavened cracker, an unleavened piece of bread, and then a little cup of grape, grape juice. And we passed those elements out. The bread represented the body of Christ. The grape juice represented the blood of Christ. Again, symbolism. And that time of communion together as a church family was an act of worship. And notice what Paul is saying here. He's using the communion of the Christian church. And what he's saying is, is he's saying that when you take those elements... When you take the cracker and the grape juice, for instance, you could take a cracker and grape juice this afternoon in your home and you could think you're doing communion, but technically you're not according to the teaching here in 1 Corinthians 10. At that point, it would just be you eating crackers and juice. It wouldn't be a corporate act of worship together as a church family. And what Paul is saying here is just as this bread and this juice are just bread and juice, 
The moment it becomes something different is when you're engaged in an act of worship with it. And what he's saying about the meat is he's saying meat's meat. But the moment you engage and you go across the street from the meat market, buying the meat to take home to eat, and then you go and you worship in the temple of the pagan idol and eat there with them, that's the moment it becomes wrong. Do you see the distinction? Let's keep reading. Verse, uh, verse 18. Behold, Israel after the flesh are not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar? And so Paul uses the illustration of communion in the Christian church, but then he jumps back here in Israel's history to their sacrificial system. And he says, listen, when you took that sacrifice to the altar, you were actively engaged in that process of worship. So what he's saying is, is when you take communion, it is a unified act of worship together as a church family. It's a sacred act. Let's keep reading. Verse 19. What say I then? What, that, that the idol is anything or that which is offered to sacrifice, uh, uh, sacrifice to idols is anything? No, of course not. Again, he's not saying that these idols are real. He's just saying that what you're doing is you're identifying with pagan worship when you cross the street from the meat market buying the meat and then you go into the pagan temple. So see, do you see what he's saying? He's saying that your liberties in Christ do have limits. And I think this is so important as we seek to be word-driven here in our church. So he's saying our liberties do have limits. Verse, verse 20, But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, now catch this, they sacrifice to demons, to devils, and not to God. And I would not that you should have fellowship with demons. Whoa. This has got, kind of gets where, where, where it gets a little spooky, but not spooky, really. What he's saying is, yeah, those pagan idols don't exist, but the demonic influence in that paganism is absolutely real. And when you take that meat and you go over and you're like, oh, that's all right. I'm not, I, don't, I, can, I can eat this. I'm, I'm, I'm free. I'm going I'm to eat right here in this pagan temple and not even go home to eat this meat. He says, that's when you've crossed the line and you are worshiping, you are having fellowship with demons. Whoa. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. So what he's saying is, is when you eat meat in that idol's temple, that is an act of worship. Just like last week when we took that cracker and that grape juice together as the body of Christ, and many of you shared with me and thank you so much for the encouraging words after a worship service. Maybe you shared with me that that was a glimpse of heaven, you know, a glimpse of being together in, in heaven. And, and I can't wait. I hope it is. What a beautiful picture of our communion in Christ. And, and so these elements, just as that was an act of worship for us last week, Paul was saying, listen, when you go and eat meat in that temple, that's when it becomes a problem and it's an act of worship. So he says here in verse 22, uh, do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Or are we stronger than he? So he's wrapping this up and he's saying, the problem is not the meat. The problem is the context in which you eat the meat. All right? Is, is that fairly clear? I hope it is. That's what Paul is laying out here. He's basically saying that, listen, you want to buy meat? Great! Enjoy you a nice filet mignon with some A1 steak sauce. Now, raise your hand. How many of you are, you just like steak straight without any sauces to mess it up? Raise your hand, all right? How many of you are sanctified and you enjoy a little barbecue or A1 sauce or even good old ketchup like your pastor? Raise your hand. All right, we're in the minority. That's okay. But uh, so, so yeah, Paul's just saying, listen, you want to eat meat, whether it's with or without sauce, 
Go for it. No problem. But you want to buy and eat that same meat in the temple? Problem. Do you see the distinction? I hope you do because this will really apply here in just a little bit as we apply this to our own 21st century. Because, yeah, we don't worry about going to Publix tomorrow and buying meat that happened to be sacrificed to an idol. But there's other areas, and I'll mention those here in a bit. So that's when you can't eat meat, all right? So he's saying this is the limit of that liberty. But then he says, here's where you might be able to eat it. Verses 23 through 11, verse 1. Look at verse 23. It says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Paul's saying, listen, now in the new covenant of grace and the finished work of Jesus, now with the spirit living inside of me, there is a great freedom. And of course, that freedom is never going to lead me to violate the old moral laws of the old covenant. Of course not. Um, in fact, there's a, there's a higher motivation here, and it's called the motivation of love. And love leads me not to want to steal from my neighbor or to commit adultery against my neighbor or lie to my neighbor. You see, love motivates those things. It's the motivating, motivating force to not do those things. But Paul says here, all things are lawful, but all things are not best. All things are lawful, but all things edify not. Let no man seek his own. Might need to underline that. You know why we need to underline that in verse 24? Let no man seek his own. Because we live in a world, in, a, in an American culture, where it's all about the individual. It's all about me and my rights. Boy, we've heard a lot of that on TV lately, haven't we? Isn't it amazing? Well, filter. Throw that one away. All right, so let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. You see, what is Paul saying here? He's saying, yes, you've got great freedoms in Christ, but love limits freedom. Love limits freedom. Verse 25, whatever is sold in the shambles or the meat market, <laughs> that word shambles means meat market. It doesn't mean your child's room. I know, I know, I know. That's an old English word for the meat market. Whatever is sold in the shambles, that eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So, so Paul gives three examples here of when you might be able to eat and, or, or, or three explanations further of when, hey, you're free to eat this meat. Number one, Enjoy your freedoms. That meat belongs to God. Look at verse 25 and 26. He says, whatsoever is sold in the meat market, eat it. And don't ask questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So he quotes from Psalm 24 here in this passage to say, hey, God created that cow. Enjoy. <laughs> yes. I'm glad that verse is there, you know, because it's like, yes, I mean, God created that. You can enjoy that meat. And hey, if you're a vegetarian, that's cool too. I just have never figured out how tofu tastes like meat. But anyway, if you're a vegetarian and you eat tofu and you're like, it tastes just like chicken, please come and help me to understand that after the service. But, but Paul just says here, enjoy your freedoms. That meat belongs to God. Look, verse 27. If any of them that believe not bid you to a feast and you be disposed to go, so saying, hey, if somebody that's unsaved, who maybe still might be in that temple pagan practice, if they invite you over for dinner, go, go, but notice what he says, whatsoever is set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. So again, he says, don't ask questions if you're not encouraged to. Why create an issue when there's not one? So he says, secondly, don't create an issue where there isn't one with needless questions. Now, a great illustration of this, 
and I've got to mention it. Several years ago in, 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 in the church world, there were great, beautiful songs being written by great godly Christian people. And there was these uh, Christians who would sing the songs and then the Christians would go home and they would start to research who wrote the song. And they would start to ask all kinds of questions. And they would come back to church the next week and say, we can't sing that song anymore because of such and such and such and such wrote it. That's the same exact situation here. Uh, people creating issues with great Christian music, creating questions where questions really don't need to be addressed or raised. Um, it's, it's funny how, well, yeah, you know, with the advent of social media, everybody is everybody's referee now. And, uh, and we're going to talk about social media here in a second and how this applies to Christian freedoms. I think that some Christians need to be a lot wiser in whether they flaunt their freedoms on Facebook um, because you can create challenges for other Christians who are growing in the Lord and you also create your own controversy, don't, don't we? I say we, all of us, right? I think sometimes, based on how you were raised, when you find out that you have this great freedom in Christ and the Spirit is working in you and, and you're finding, oh, wow, you know, Jesus is changing me, you, if you're not careful, you become caustic in your freedom. And you know what? That's not spiritual. The wisdom from, a fur, uh, the wisdom from above is first peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, without partiality, full of good fruits. So don't create an issue where there isn't one with needless questions. And then the third clarification he gives here, the third example is verse 28. Look at verse 28. He says, But if any man say to you, This is offered in sacrifice unto idols, Eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So Paul says, thirdly here, be sensitive to others, and if there likely could be an issue, don't exercise your freedom. So basically this guy says, oh yeah, this meat was, and maybe he's testing you, maybe he's seeing whether, the, whether it's right or wrong, and he's going to base his decision for whether it's right or wrong for him based on what you do, and that's where you need to um, exercise restraint and not take part in your freedom. So where they would be knowledgeable of it, what Paul's saying is, is don't be careless, don't be cavalier, be considerate to others' consciences in the matter. And I think what we're talking about here is this, and, and really to wrap this up, and I have a right to mentality will cause other Christians to sin who do not have your same freedom. Verse 29, uh, it says, Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other, for why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I, by grace, be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? What's Paul saying here? He's saying, I've been given this great freedom in Christ, but I'm going to exercise it with caution because I don't want my freedom to be the focus. I want Christ to be the focus and that believer's walk with Christ to be the focus. And so he isn't, and so when we read this verse, the next verse we're about to read, do you now see the context? Verse 31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Can we just say that all out loud together? Are you ready? This will be like we're at the wilds. Are you ready? If you're not sure what the wilds is, that's a Christian camp where we would say this before every meal. Are you ready? One, two, three. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Now, teenagers, here's a test for you, and kids are going to camp next year. Write this down. Don't forget it. Next year, 
when you quote this at the wilds, the question you need to ask right after you quote that verse, just raise your hand and say, is this meat that we're having today, is this sacrifice to idols? That'd be funny. No, but that, that, that'd be a great question to ask in context. Because isn't it true that sometimes when we quote this verse, we're like, oh yeah, Paul's saying, okay, and yes, in the mundane things of life, do all to the glory of God. And that is an application, but that's not the primary meaning of this verse. The primary meaning of this verse is he's saying that, listen, in your freedoms, whether you eat meat or whether you don't, whether you drink this or whether you don't, do all to the glory of God. Imagine with me for a moment if a church got a hold of that principle and lived by it. Where people would stay together in the midst of their diversity. Where we would actually have growth because we're allowing the Spirit to work in other people's lives. And so what he's saying here is that ultimately our freedom is for the glory of God. Verse 32, Give no offense neither to the Jews nor to the Gentiles nor to the church of God. Now, good test. How do you know if you're giving glory to God in your freedom? Verse 32, are you and I giving offense? Now, what does the word offense mean? Remember, it's not just, well, I don't like it. It means you've caused someone else to sin and go back into a sinful lifestyle because of you exercising your freedom. So that's what the word offense means. And that's very important as we seek to apply this. So, because of love, we must be cautious with our freedoms, and here's the tension, without being overly paranoid, right? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes when a, when, when a well-meaning brother or sister comes to us and, and talks to us about something, sometimes we feel like, oh, now I'm, now I'm being watched. You know, that's the wrong response too. You, you don't have to feel that way, and brother, sister in Christ, we, we need to be careful with one another in our words, speaking the truth in love, helping one another grow in grace and an understanding of this amazing new life we have in Christ. But what he's saying is, because of love, we've got to be cautious, but we also don't need to walk around on pins and needles. Listen, I'm not going to walk around on pins and needles in my freedoms, but at the same time, I'm not going to be careless and inconsiderate realizing that there's all kinds of lives represented here where you guys have faced different issues than I have, and you might see a liberty in my life that you might not take, and that's okay. But I would never want the exercise of my liberty to cause you to go back into a lifestyle that you've come out of. Does that make sense so far? And again, these freedoms, we're not talking about freedoms of, for instance, Here's one that I get, oh, I'm free in Christ. I can go live with so-and-so and just, you know, have a relationship with him and a moral relationship because I'm free. No, 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 that's not a freedom. You violated God's word. You violated what he says. You violated the, clear, the clarity of the purity of, of the relationship with God and with others. And so clearly your freedoms aren't going to lead you into a lifestyle of licentiousness. They're going to lead you into a lifestyle of love for God and for others. And so in our culture today, most people practice their freedoms without caution. But look at verse 33. Oh, I love verse 33. Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. 
You know, the only, I don't know, I don't know if it's the only thing, but one of the only things that you and I can't do in heaven that we can do here on earth is what? Tell other people about Jesus. Because they'll already know him in heaven. And so Paul says here that the goal of our freedoms is not about what we can or can't do. That's really the wrong question. This whole study for the last couple months on Christians' freedoms isn't about what you can and can't do. It's about the limiting of those to make more and better disciples of Jesus. And so I love how Paul wraps this whole study up. Look at verse 11, or verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, chapter and verse numbers were not inspired in the original document. Those were added in the 15th century by a, name, by a guy by the name of Robert Stephanus. And the reason he did that is because it makes it easy for us to study the Bible together. Imagine if I told you, turn in your scroll to the book of 1 Corinthians this morning to this section. You'd still be looking for it. And I wouldn't have even gotten started in my sermon. So chapter divisions and verse numbers help us in our study of the word, but they weren't originally inspired. And I think sometimes in the divisions, they didn't get it exactly right. And this is one of those examples here. This really concludes chapter 10 when Paul says, hey, if you got a question, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. What a challenge. Can we say that? in our Christian life? Are we following our freedoms? Are, are, do we have such a good handle on Christian liberty? And do we have these principles tied into our Christian liberty to where we can say with Paul, hey, if you've got any doubt, look at my life as I lead and follow my example. How many of us as parents say to our kids, do what I say, not what I do? Yeah, sometimes I'm guilty of that myself. You know what Paul's saying here? Do what I do. Follow my example. And so, as I said earlier, these issues are not, th this issue of meat sacrifice to idols isn't an issue for us, I'm sure. But I'm about to put up on the screen controversial issues. And when I put it up here, I know there's going to be a couple of things that are going to be going on in your heads. Number one, oh, pastor thinks you can do all those things. Nope. Nope. So don't jump to that conclusion. <laughs> Number... Uh, uh. Number two, <laughs> wasn't that good? Number two, though, number two is you don't want to jump to this conclusion either. Oh, I can do all that stuff. That's also wrong. So can you make that promise to me right now, Pastor? I promise, Scout's honor, that I'm not going to say, oh, Pastor thinks you can do all that. Or, man, open season. I know because some of these things are going to be on this list. You know that you cannot practice that freedom because you know that if you did, it would lead you back into a lifestyle that would ruin you spiritually and ruin everything around you. So are you ready for the list? I can't wait. I, wanna, I would love to capture on video the reaction to what I'm about to show. I'm watching. I'm watching. Oh, pastor, you think? No, I didn't say any of that. I didn't say that you could do any of that. But I'm saying there are good Christians. They are godly men and women who will talk about all of these. For instance, one down there, schooling. Do you know there are Christians who believe very strongly that you should not send your kids to the <gasps> public school? It is like purgatory. No, no. I mean, I mean, there are people who think that, and they would take serious issue with the fact that you, you as a Christian would allow your kids to go to the public school. And there are, there are Christians who believe that 
you're sheltering and putting your kids in a hyperbaric chamber if you don't allow them to go. So you got, and I've seen this in churches, Christian brothers and sisters get at each other's throats over whether they let their kids go to this school or that school. Smoking's an interesting one. I know a lot of Christians who like, man, smoking is terrible. It is ruining your health. And they've popped two Snickers bars today. Come on, shout or pout. You know that's the truth. I'll still go home and, yeah. Um, I have a friend that pastors in Las Vegas. And he, seriously, he's gotten scratch-off lottery tickets in his offering plate before. And so we talked about, what do you do when that happens? And it was so funny. We were at a pastor conference. He says, I scratched them off, of course. <laughs> and if it's a $100,000 winner, we're banking that. That's a great giving on, on that Sunday. Um, you know, some people believe you can go to a casino and get good food because, man, a casino, they got deals on buffets because they know they're going to get your money in other places. So people are like, man, I'll go to a casino. I'll, I'll, I'll go uh, have, have a great buffet. I'll go stay there for free for a weekend, whatever it might be. And so all these issues. I mean, we're going to have a trunk or treat on October the 31st. There would be churches who literally would think that we are completely messed up taking back the devil's holiday because the devil didn't have a holiday to begin with. October 31st, in case you don't know, is just another day. The head of the devil has been thoroughly crushed through Jesus Christ, the risen king. I don't fear October 31st, and I certainly don't fear black cats crossing my path on October 31st. In fact, if they do, I speed up. I'm just kidding. Anyway... <laughs> I'm just kidding. So you see all these things. I mean, vaccinations. How many of you on social media have seen, and, and again, I'm not attacking you if you don't think that you should take a vaccination. My kids, half of them have been vaxxed. One and a half of them have it. I don't even know. I mean, but, but how many of us have seen the social media wars about vaccinations? Raise your hand if you've seen it. And I refuse to get into that keyboard war. You know why? Because you're never going to win that, and you're only going to draw a deeper divide between brothers and sisters in Christ. Birth control, you know, what form, what kind? I remember going rounds in my own conscience, uh, my, my, me and my wife even praying through that. You know, what tattoos? You know, there are some Christians who believe that, you know, they, they take a verse in the book of Deuteronomy and say you should never get a tattoo. Well, that chapter also says you shouldn't shave your beard. So what's the connection with that? And again, I'm not defending or fighting for or against, believe me. Uh, alternative, this is a big one, alternative medications. There are some medications today that have been done research on, and they can greatly help prolong people's quality of life. But, you know, there's addictions to those things. The opioid addiction is, is rampant in our culture today. And so here's the list. What do you think? Here's the thing. As you look at all these, and of course, there's the big one, number one at the top left column, alcohol. And where, where do you fall on that? And, and have you studied the scriptures? And what does the scripture say? And so you've got all these things. But here's the point. If you've come out of a life where you were, for instance, Halloween. If you came out of a system where you were a Wiccan witch and you were involved in pagan witchcraft and you don't want to get together and give kids candy on Halloween, okay, that's fine. Uh, but, but, but see, the, the issue is, is when we make these things out to be, this is what everybody must do. So that's the challenge for us, isn't it? And so the same feelings you're having right now, maybe I'm assuming, maybe I'm not, but the same thoughts you're having in your head right now is what the church of Corinth was dealing with with the issue of meat sacrifice to idols. The same tension. And you know what's going to be with all these things? You're never going to solve the tension completely. 
You know what you do? You manage the tension. And you know what keeps the tension in, in balance? Love for one another. Genuine love, which is the bedrock of why we meet together every Sunday. And so God tells us that for us individually in these matters, that we need to be fully persuaded in our own mind, fully convinced in his own mind. Uh, Here in Romans 14, they were debating on the Sabbath day. Is it Saturday or is it Sunday? Paul says, yes. What are you convinced of? This is hard because what it reveals, the reason this is hard is because it reveals to us that we still have a greater confidence in a list of laws than we have confidence in the indwelling, working, transforming power of the Spirit in a person's life individually. And so what we want is we want conformity because that makes us feel comfortable. Transformation's messy, but I would argue that transformation is true and it's lasting. And that's what we want as brothers and sisters in Christ here at Fairview. So what is Paul saying? Love God, love others, then do whatever the Spirit leads you to do. Yes, because I guarantee you that if you are loving God and loving others, desiring to follow God's Spirit and listening to His voice, you will be led of the Spirit. So if you come to me after the service and bring that list and say, okay, pastor, is this right or wrong? You know what I'm going to say? How is the Spirit leading you according to a thorough examination of God's Word in your life? Amen. Love God, love others, then do whatever the Spirit leads you to do. If the goal of my life is to allow God's Spirit to influence every decision, then what should I do right now? Again, just imagine if we lived by that question on a daily basis. I guarantee you, we would see transformation happening on a more grand scale than it already is. Praise God for where people have gotten a hold of this and where churches are seeing this and they're allowing the Spirit of God to transform them, to move them into a deeper growth in their relationship with Christ. Church family, I hope that this message has helped us today. And today as a church family, we have an opportunity to practice this kind of love. 